Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut or shortened due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. Listening colour. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Farah Nas, founder of one of the UK's fastest growing beauty brands, EX1 Cosmetics. Farah's interest in beauty began age six, when her mother wouldn't let her wear nail varnish. She raided the kitchen cupboard and decided to make her own with some cornflower water and blue food colour. 20 minutes later, it came off. No problem, though, because it looked fantastic until then. A few years later, having trained as a biochemist, Farah was frustrated by the lack of affordable cosmetics for women with her skin tone. It didn't seem right that many women with darker skin had no choice but to buy premium brands just to get a decent colour match. So she decided to start from scratch and create her own unique blend of pigments, in fact, the first line of cosmetics in the UK to cater exclusively for women with olive skin tones, and I have the same skin tone, so I'm probably going to be looking up this brand soon. The formula featuring yellow and gold pigments and at an affordable price was an instant success. We'll talk to Farah about the rise of EX1 Cosmetics and challenging beauty and industry standards too. That's all coming up in a few minutes here on Jazz Shapers. We've also got brilliant music from, amongst others, Roy Ayers, Milt Jackson and Mr Stevie Wonder. That's today's Jazz Shapers. Here's Aretha Franklin and Moody's Mood for Love. Funny thing, but every time I need you, I never can explain. You give me a smile and a rhyme with your magic. This music all around me, crazy music, music. Drawing me closer, very close to you. That was Aretha Franklin with Moody's Mood for Love. Super scatty, super jazzy, which is lucky because it's Jazz FM and it's Jazz Shapers. And my business shaper today is the founder of EX1 Cosmetics and it's Farah Nuss. Hello and it's lovely to meet you. Hi, lovely to meet you too. (laughs) Farah, tell me about this six-year-old self. So many times I talk to people and there's always a little bit of a history of whatever it is they end up doing. I had Marcus Waring on a few months ago and he said he was interested in cooking and ingredients from a really young age because he was surrounded by his father who was in the fruit business and so on. What was it for you at that age, if you can remember, that intrigued you about making nail varnish? Yeah, I think I was pretty much like most other kids my age. So I I was quite a girly little girl and loved playing around with sort of things like makeup. I loved the idea of makeup, but actually, of course, my mother wouldn't let me wear anything. So um, that prompted me at quite a young age to try and see if I could find a way around this. And I would just literally raid the kitchen cupboard, start blending ingredients together, get a bit of food colour, mix it all up and then sort of apply it you know, on my face, on my nails. And it was just it was just fun, really. And it sounds like two things have happened because obviously you, you I say obviously because I know this, but if you're listening, you won't know this just yet. You went on to become a biochemist. You went on to do a biochemistry degree. I did, You did. Yeah. So there must have been something about the making as well as the product at the end of it that was intriguing. Did you, through yeah. your teenage life, also start to think, I'm quite interested in science and I'm quite interested in making stuff? And if so, where do you think mm. that came from? I think the whole thing's probably underpinned by just having an inquisitive mind and oddly 
oddly enough, actually, raiding the kitchen cupboard and biochemistry does have sort of commonalities. Mm. I think both of them are sort of mixing and blending things and you're, you're creating and you're formulating. So I think, you know, it really was born from just being somebody that liked to question things all the time. I was quite inquisitive. I wanted to sort of play around with things. And I think it was just that combination of playfulness and being inquisitive that probably is the definition of creativity. And and where did that come from, from anywhere? I mean, was it because in your own upbringing, was that mm-hmm. encouraged? It sounds like it was. Or, or was it more that, as you said, you found ways around things, you found ways to kind of be creative? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I've never really known if this is a product of sort of, you know, your environment when you're very young or is it your upbringing is it innate I'm not really sure I think that probably because I was the youngest child I was one of three I think by the time I was you know born I think my mother had kind of probably kind of given up and was a lot more relaxed and there was a lot less rules that makes sense (laughs) and I think I kind of got a lot I got away with sort of experimenting a lot more and just sort of you know, just she wasn't so sort of rigid probably as she was with my older siblings. And I think that kind of flexibility and freedom probably did contribute to sort of being somebody that was quite creative, having that sort of freedom, I think, as a child. Fast forward a bit to EX1 Cosmetics today. What's the offer in your own words? Because I I mentioned it's about um, makeup for those with olivey skin. And as you can see, I have olivey skin. You do, I do. Um, I don't wear much makeup, although I've Mm. thought about it. (laughs) And from time to time I do. Uh, But that's a different story for for a different time. Um, Tell me about the business, as I said, in your own words. What's it delivering on? What's What's the gap in the market? So the gap in the market, I felt, was to do with foundations, particularly complexion based products that were affordable and available on the high street and accessible um, and that were mainly targeted towards women who have an olive skin tone. That doesn't just mean medium skin tones. It actually can be, you know, you can be fair and be olive. You can actually have very sort of deep skin, but it can still be underpinned by having these sort of yellow undertones to your skin. And so fundamentally, it was about creating a range of products for what I believed were an underserved group of women. Obviously, in other countries, and I lived in India many years ago, there are products which talk to um, women with darker skin colours, but actually, often in those environments, truthfully, and I was there 20 Mm. so years ago, it was about becoming whiter, which I always found quite shocking for me as a Western guy living in India when I did. But it was just, you know, it was called Fair and Lovely, I think, and it was a big product. You've sort of gone in reverse, which is to say you've got great skin. How do you you enhance it? For you, um, as a woman now, looking back on, you know, your own journey in terms of wearing makeup and things like that what role does the makeup play in the confidence that you're trying to build in the women that you serve yeah so I think that you know the idea behind makeup is very very it's a very very personal thing and I think that some women feel much more confident wearing makeup some women are quite happy going without makeup and I think it's just a very personal choice Um, my personal belief is to create products and give women the option and that you can use the product how you wish. So I completely agree that, you know, there was there was a trend in part of Southeast Asia, and I think it still exists, where people use things like foundation to lighten their skin, for instance. Mm. I don't think that's so prevalent here anymore. I think you still see it. It's not um, something that I personally would advocate, especially for my brand. Um, for me, foundations are about enhancing your natural skin tone. It's about working and embracing with what you already have and making your complexion look its best possible mm. um, rather than trying to use the products to sort of, you know, make yourself darker or make yourself lighter. And I think there's just, you know, it's just one of those things that people who are very, very fair sometimes want to tan and people who are quite dark sometimes want to be lighter. 
And I just um, want to be as dark as possible. Actually, I mean, I'm one of those. <laughs> you know, I go to I go to a hot place. I'm like, bring me the sun, which is you know, people go, but you're dark already. I go, yes, but I want to be darker. I mean, it is a totally per. My point is, it's totally personal. It's isn't a it? completely personal yeah. thing. I think so. Yeah. Tell me about how you got the business up and running then, because you're a biochemist, and then you you morph into this. You're no longer six. You're now kind of an adult, and you're going. I'm going to create this business. How did it start in the very very beginning? I think it was just, it literally just starts from a concept, actually, and I think it snowballed from there. So unfortunately, um, I have to be honest, I didn't have any sort of grand plan. I wasn't one of these people that started with a big business plan and thought, right, how am I going to make this happen? I think it was very much driven by um, getting going, starting, um, questioning everything. I think that the first thing that I did was to start asking questions. It's something that I've been instinctively doing anyway as just a consumer, as a makeup user. And it was those questions that weren't answered in a way that I was happy with. So I'd look at market reports, I'd look at industry research, and I would find that I don't think this really makes sense to me. And I felt that that prompted me to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think it was just much more of a snowball effect, to be honest. And in the early days, when you're you're spending time doing this, were you working, doing something else at the same time? Or did this become the full-time thing that you were trying to build? I think at that time, it, you know, it was something that I was looking to build. So I had sort of, you know, dedicated myself to it mm. at this point. Um, I, I really didn't know how to start, to be completely honest. It was very much a bedroom business. I just put a phone line in, a separate phone line, and it literally was that classic kind of bedroom business scenario. And now the business has been funded up to the you know tune of around £5 million plus. What are people investing in, Farah? Wow, I think you might have to ask them that concept. What do you that, think? That I mean, because obviously, yeah. people, you know, again, I've met many people, many businesses are funded, they sit there, they raise money. But what do you think they've bought in you? I think it's two things, probably. I think investors will invest in your vision. So you need to find a group of people that will support your vision and they wholeheartedly believe in the proposition that you have. So I think that's absolutely critical and fundamental. I have been told by investors on a few occasions now that actually they are investing in me, especially when you don't have anything tangible to show people. And they've literally said to me, you know, Farah, we are investing in you. And so no pressure at all. But, you know, um, I think they want to ensure that you are somebody that has an unwavering belief in this in this vision and that you will um, you will see it through because ultimately you don't want to be you don't want to invest in the kind of person that is not completely and utterly dedicated to making this come to fruition and of course right now you're in i believe amazon asos boots feel unique urban retreat at harrods and, and many other places and expansions in middle east and u.s so something's working and those <laughs> people who've invested well done much Thank more you. coming up from my guest Faranaz in a couple of minutes but first let's hear some words of advice from one of our partners in mishkondare for your burgeoning business I'm Daniel Farrandyme, an associate in the planning group at Mishkondorea, part of the wider real estate department. You may find as a, uh, as a business or as a small business or if your business grows that um, you're having problems finding accommodation. This may be partly in due to the fact that permission has been given nationwide, with a few minor exceptions, uh, to allow officers to be converted to residential. An awful lot of office stock, therefore, is being converted to much more valuable uses for owners. That causes big problems for those who want to occupy small units, because those are the ones that are clear targets for the exercise of this right. 
There is some hope on the horizon, however. Uh, we've been engaged with a few clients uh, on large mixed-use development schemes who have either offered or have been asked to provide starter units for commercial occupiers, um, be they tech startup industries or, or just small office or retail units. This is almost the equivalent of affordable housing for the residential sphere, where uh, in granting permission for housing development, a local authority might insist that some of those are made available to uh, those who can't afford to occupy it on the open market. A similar sort of concept of affordable commercial units is gaining more ground and is worth investigating. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. There are absolutely loads of ways for you to enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and indeed to hear this programme with Farah again as well. You can ask Alexa to play Jazz Shapers and there you can hear many of the recent programmes. Or if you pop Jazz Shapers into iTunes or your own preferred podcast platform, I think that's the terminology, you can enjoy the full archive. But back to today and back to Farah Naz, founder of one of the UK's fastest growing beauty brands. I love it when I get given those things. Fastest growing, one of. EX1 Cosmetics, nice name too. It's Farah. Um... Talking about people investing in you, talking about the fact that you've actually got this this business now which is working, Um, just a quick thing on the name. Where does the name come from, EX1? So originally um, the idea was exact match makeup um, and the idea was that, you know, we were going to set out to provide a product, a a foundation that would match your skin exactly. And then when I came to sort of filing the name... um, there were just some legalities around the fact that you couldn't have anything descriptive, so I'm unfortunately... um, the, the, the real answer behind that is that I was told I had five minutes to come up with a name and I just went, <laughs> EX1, there you go. And it's Isn't sort of it stuck. glamorous? The world of business. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, don't, you can't beat it. And in terms of the team that you started to assemble, so we, we've, t- we've talked briefly about the beginning and it was a, your own bedroom and it was a line and all that. When did you hire your first employee? So I first hired someone when I had my first seed round. Um, and that gave me the flexibility of actually making that first hire. When was um, that? About four or five years ago? Yeah, it was about four or five years ago. Um, and she was somebody that came from um, a cosmetics background. Mm. She had a couple of years experience behind her. And actually, at the time, I was literally working in a 100 square foot office. And I was renting this space from a mortgage broker in the suburbs of um, northwest London. So it was probably the least glamorous place you could possibly imagine to start a beauty brand. It's where empires begin, Farah. Apparently so. (laughs) I mean, you've got to start somewhere. I remember talking to Joan Malone and she said she made some products for some guests that came for dinner. She gave them to them and they went... Well, that was amazing. Can I have another one? And off she went. And that was in her own, you know, kitchen, literally. Mm. And and so, employee number one, um, what, what did it enable you to do in those early early days? Just talk me through a little bit about what what one actually does to start to build a business like this. Wow, um, I think the journey of every business is going to obviously be a little bit different. Mm. Uh, for us, we're a manufacturing business, so it was around you know making sure that our production schedules were running on time. It was very much a a time to sort of get retail partners on board and to build an actual very basic business model, which is your distribution and then your your product. What um, was your first product out of interest? What was the very, very first one? The very first product that we launched was the current hero product, which is the Invisiwear Liquid Foundation. 
tell me about it. I'm genuinely interested. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, what does it do? Because so I'm a man behind, and I don't know very yeah, much no, about makeup. Huh? Yeah. So the idea behind the foundation was that we wanted to create um, a product that was designed for women, as I was saying, with sort of yellow, golden undertones to their skin. Mm. And the stats sort of show that 78% of women are not happy with their current foundation. And in a billion dollar industry, you wonder why that's the case. And when you look at stats, or actually when you look at sort of market research, it shows that foundation is the number one purchased product in the entire cosmetics industry, which is testament to how important it is to women to get that product right. Mm. It's called foundation because obviously it's the base product and it's the canvas for the rest of your makeup. So to me, it was a little bit alarming that, you know, 78% of women are not happy with, you know, or they would switch their current foundation. Mm. We're here to provide an alternative. So the idea behind the brand was to actually have a completely unique product offering. So what we do is, you know, my background obviously is as a scientist, I use that background to relook at pigments. And I started looking at the pigments that the industry was using. I found that brands were just literally going from light to dark, they had a spectrum, they were just blending up oranges and pink bases. And you can't actually really do that for olive skin tones and actually for a lot of skin tones. And it hasn't really been challenged in years and years and years. People have just sort of run with it. And um, being at the consumer end of it, instinctively understanding there was an issue, the idea behind this product um, or this first line that I created was to provide an alternative to women who were just not happy with the way the industry was currently manufacturing and in, ter- and in terms of that kid who was six who was playing with stuff in the kitchen there you are now as an adult are you are you at the beginning f- overseeing the the fusion of the different pigments to get the thing that you want or is that then delegated or right i mean i just want to be clear on how hands-on you really were in those early days i would say very hands-on i actually um create the products in milan italy milan is the home of the highest quality emulsions in the world um it's a bit like when you buy great chocolates and they come from sort of Belgium. Um, It's a craft actually and it's a know-how that the Italians have had for years and years and years which is hard to find elsewhere in the world. So that's where we create the products and I teamed up with a team of scientists in Europe. We just put our heads together and we started innovating. I was very involved in the process actually um, right at the raw material level from looking at actually exactly what went into the products. so, yeah, no, it was extremely hands-on. It was blood, sweat and R&D for about two years. Lucky you were a scientist, because I think it would have been tricky if you weren't. Mm. Stay with me for much more from my business shaper. That's Farah Naz, and she's the founder of EX1 Cosmetics, and she started making it herself. Here's the music. It's Milt Jackson and Wes Montgomery with Delilah. <laughs> the music up somewhat here on Jazz Shapers uh, there was Milt Jackson and Wes Montgomery with Delilah, something a bit different there uh, Farinaz is my business shaper today and we've been talking about how hands on she's been and how Milan which I didn't know is the home of makeup, it makes sense though to me, home of fashion and all sorts of stuff as well of the areas that you've had to look after as the, the founder of this business, what have you found the most difficult bits, whether that's financial, whether it's distribution, whether it's manufacturing, whatever it might be, which area has been the most difficult and how have you managed to cope in that area? 
I think that's a really tough one because I think when you're running a business, it's so multifaceted that, you know, you get challenges in every possible area you can imagine and you get challenges in areas that you never even thought of. So, you know, that can run from anything from production schedules. So if a major celebrity um, wears your products at a red carpet event and then you sell out the next day, you know, it's hard to forecast production schedules when you don't have a clear historical track record of growth. And when you're going through massive a massive growth phase, then, you know, to get that right um, is very Tricky. challenging. It is. And um, it's resulted in a lot of out of stocks. You know, when I launched um, our really, really pale shade of foundation, when I did a range of um, shade extensions on the foundation, um, we were out of stock for a product for seven months um, just because it was sell out so fast. Wow. So that, that's been that's been difficult. I think other areas which have been, you know, are always a little bit stressful, I think, is is fundraising. Um, and I would say now, not so much, because we, you know, have something to show. I think that when you're in the very early stages of funding, in fact, especially that seed round where you really don't have anything tangible to show people, you're literally selling people a vision. And you'll get a lot of people who will be, you know, sort of thinking that you're a little bit crazy and they just sort of advise you to get into a nine to five, mm. um, trying to sell that vision and get people on board and actually part with their cash, you know, is quite hard to do. Now, you said before about talk, talking about that, uh, uh, parting with cash, less than 1% of VC funding, venture capital funding goes globally to women of colour. Investors need to change their culture, you've said, and start taking note of the phenomenal unexploited potential of investing in diversity. There's lots said about diversity. And in my lifetime, it's definitely the noise has gone up and quite rightly because issues need to be addressed you are a woman of color in your own words you have Mm -hmm. pakistani origin you don't really talk about that because i think i imagine it's like well no i'm just a person and i happen to be this is my origin and so on but is it have you noticed is it more difficult for you as a woman and a woman of color to raise money do you think and and if Mm. so how have you managed to break through yeah it's it's a good question if i'm entirely honest about it i don't personally feel like this has been an issue for me. Mm. Um, I feel that if you have a very, very strong concept, a very strong proposition, you will find people who will who will join you and support and you're you, you to build something. I mean, without Farah, we don't know each other well, but you're, you're you and you're incredibly impressive. You're smart. You're a biochemist. You understand this business. You know what you're doing. You did your homework. You know what you're talking about. You're going to be highly investable. Oh, thank you so much. But but it, but but that if 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 I understand what you're saying, then that is much more important. The fact that your gender is X and the fact that your colour is Y, or do those other two factors still play a role? The stats would reflect that you know there is an issue that mm. people are not getting funded. Um, I have to say that you know again, like I said, it's really not something that I um, feel that I faced. Um, I have had rejections. I've never you know for funding. I didn't ever attribute that to you know, my skin tone or my gender or anything like that. I mean, I don't really know what goes on in the minds of people. But I certainly am not a believer in thinking that I am, that that I'm competitively disadvantaged somehow because of, you know, my sex and because of my my skin tone. Um, I think I'm very much a glass half full kind of person. I, I meet people, I tend to think the best of them and I you know I've I've personally not had a problem having said all of that I do acknowledge that there is a problem in the industry and not just this industry and in in, you know in funding in general that yes the stats show that you know um, less than one percent of women um, get funded so there is something wrong and I would just encourage women to 
you know, just keep pushing forwards and and know that if you do keep pushing forwards, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe you do have to try that bit harder, but it's well worth it and you will get there in the end if your proposition is strong. Stay with me for my final chat with Farah. Um, plus, we'll be playing a track from Stevie Wonder. That's all come up in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. A boy's born in Hotdam, Mississippi. Surrounded by four walls that ain't so pretty. His parents give him love and affection. To keep him strong, moving in the right direction, living just enough, just enough for the city. That was Stevie Wonder with the iconic Living for the City. I'm with Farah Naz. Just for a few more minutes, we've been talking about all sorts of things, from making stuff through to um, confidence, through to the role that that, um, gender and colour might play in uh, the funding world, uh, and so on. I just want to turn superficial for a moment, deliciously superficial, (laughs) so we can do that very easily. The kinds of people that wear your makeup, for those people that don't know, Adele, Rita Ora... Paris Jackson, you can tell me if I'm wrong on any of these, Uh, Priyanka Chopra, Kylie Jenner, I think I've heard of her, Margot Robbie, who I love, Rami Malek as well. Amazingly high profile, even if you're not in that world of popular culture, A-listers. Pretty much all of them, from the world of music to to fashion and, uh, and through to film and so on. Why? How? How did they find you? What have you been doing that's that's so successfully reached that group of people? Yeah, to be honest, I never, ever built the business to provide products for Hollywood A-list celebrities or pop stars or anything like that. It was very much a product that was created to be affordable. It's only £12.50 and um, to be made for the everyday girl who just couldn't find something that matched her skin tone. I believe that it probably came from the fact that it was a very strong product actually it was something that was completely different there is no other product like it on the market so you won't get foundations of this shade anywhere and what we found was that it actually started um with an unnamed supermodel that was shooting uh somewhere and got hold of the products through her makeup artist unnamed as in you're not going to tell me but obviously the supermodel has a name she she indeed has a name and unfortunately i I don't want to get in trouble so i won't say who it was but um that's really annoying isn't it i mean everyone's going who is it so sorry. Don't tell me. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, and, tell and me afterwards. I, I will. And she um, basically, uh, I think, tweeted it. And from there, it just ended up on the dressing tables of huge Hollywood names. And because we're in the world of sort of social media, these things get picked up by the press. So the press would see it on the dressing table of a massive actress while she's getting ready. It would get photographed. And the next thing you know, they'd be calling me about for interviews and things like that. So you're telling me this wasn't a setup. You're telling no. me actually genuinely it just picked up and that famous people started using yes, your stuff. Yes, absolutely. That's how it all began. Um, Do they want to meet you, all these people? Oh, I wish they did. I wish. I they was going to say, surely there's, there should be some <laughs> invites to some really cool things. But on that on that side, the fact that you talk about the juxtaposition between it's a twelve pounds fifty product that is for the, a mass market, and here are people picking up. Obviously, that doesn't hurt your business. It's brilliant for your business. What does success look like as you? go forward is is the metric just purely numbers of sales or is the metric the kind of people that are using it for my shareholders it's probably sales i think that to be honest with you i'm i'm very much driven by 
getting the brand out there to the people who I think it could help, actually, that's the most important thing to me. So it's about distribution. It's about getting it to people easily and affordably. I think that's fundamentally the most important thing. I think as a brand, we're really, really lucky that we've had the support of a lot of people, actually. So, you know, we've had some amazing um, awards that we've picked up along the way. So we've been nominated for... um, Best brand um, by British Vogue for 2018, and you know a number of other awards and accolades. And you've got that an really award. You've got an award. Sorry I to have. cut across. A yeah. Businesswoman of the Year at the yeah. 2018 London Asian Business Awards, and received most up-and-coming British Pakistani entrepreneur from the High Commissioner of Pakistan a few years ago. I did, and then yeah, thank you so much. And now I sound like I'm bragging a little bit because I did pick up another one a bit more recently than that last year for Businesswoman of the Year. So oh, that was there great. You go. So all these yeah. things are nice, but it doesn't seem to float your boat. That's not what you're doing it for. Yeah, completely not at all. I mean, it's it's very, very nice to have awards and, you know, it's a bit like getting a pat on the back saying, well done, you know, mm. all the hard work is paying off and it's working. So it's definitely really, really supportive. It's very encouraging and I'm very grateful to the people that have nominated us, be it the public or be it the awards people themselves. So it's great. I think my focus is very much on the business itself in terms of products, in terms of innovation. I really hope that I can continue providing really high quality products at an affordable price for for women out there. And I do believe that the industry, as it is at the moment, it's an amazing industry to be a part of. And I think there are a lot of things about the industry which are unbelievably archaic. Um, and, and it's those types of things that I would like to to try and change as much as I possibly can. Give me one example of the change that you'd like. I think that it would be nice if there was a greater understanding of formulas, to be honest. There is a lack of understanding with people in general that they don't really know the difference between high-end formulas and drugstore formulas, for instance. So we, we know in the industry that at the formula level, there is no difference in price between the most expensive designer brand and between high street product. And for me, it's about creating products that don't have eye-watering markups. That's really, really important without compromising quality in any way. I kind of feel that it would be nice if that message was out there a little bit more. Mm. It's nice to buy into luxury brands. I think that's great. And it's a lifestyle thing and it's a choice. And there are some great brands out there. But where's the quality? What you're saying is that you should also correlate that with quality. It's not all about the brand name. I I think that in this industry, it's peddling a myth if you sort of equate price and quality together. Unfortunately, you know, I think customers and and, and public should, should be aware that you are buying into a lifestyle, really. You're not even paying for the packaging. And so the philosophy behind my brand was to create the highest quality products in the world. I mean, we actually come from the very same labs that bring, you know, that that are behind those exclusive designer best-selling brands, and yet we retail at £12.50. And I think it's really nice that, you know, we are used by celebrities because they have the choice of using whatever they want. And so, yeah, I think I think the public is is quite receptive to that and is responding well to the products because the proposition is sincere, I hope. You can't really go wrong with quality. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much. Just before I let you disappear today, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I have chosen Bill Withers' Can We Pretend? Um, I was going to go for something that was a lot more uplifting and motivational as an entrepreneur, but I've gone for something which is just nice and relaxing. That 
That was Bill Withers with Can We Pretend, the song choice of my business shaper today, Farah Naz. She talked about the importance of being curious and playful, and from a very young age, that's exactly what she's been. She talked about questioning everything. I think that's a really fundamental trait of an entrepreneur. Nothing is right unless you think it's right. And finally, she talked about the importance of what she does as being a craft. It's a craft, she said, and I absolutely loved that when she said it. You can hear our conversation with Farah all over again whenever you'd like to. As a podcast, just search Jazz Shapers or ask your smart speaker to play Jazz Shapers. Or if you're up nice and early Monday morning, you can catch this programme again just before the business breakfast at 5am. We're back next Saturday from 9 with our next business shaper, Dr Ben Marathapu, co-founder and CEO of Seracare, a multi-award winning technology company transforming social care. Up next after news at 10, it's Nigel Williams with great music, interviews and live sessions too. That's it from me and Jazz Shapers. Have a great weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.